from tongue and i'm sam and this is our dead club podcast dead club is a project whereby we've been exploring our cultures and other cultures relationship to death and dying we've been speaking to friends and family and some really interesting people this episode features speech to bell speech to bell is um a kind of a friend of tongue because she and mike collaborated on her first album um speech therapy uh, and I think he co-produced and co-wrote that album. Yeah, I think he did some of the tracks on that one and he's worked with her on some of her more recent things as well. Yeah, they've collaborated um, a lot together over the years um, and we talk a bit about that in the interview. But what happened was Mike and Speech had been in touch um, and it turned out that her brother Delroy had recently passed away. So... We asked her if she would be up for having a chat to be part of these conversations and we explained that we're trying to learn about um, our culture and different cultures' relationship to death and dying and also to learn about being better allies around people in grief. Um, So if you don't know who she is, she's, you know, as we said, she's a musician and might work with her on her debut album, which won the Mercury Prize in 2009. And she's also, like, known as a passionate cook because she was a semi-finalist on Celebrity MasterChef. Um, and she also has her own podcast called The Work Brunch um, as well. And I spoke to her over Zoom um, and it was a really, really powerful conversation. Um, she talked very, very openly about her brother's passing, um, And she also told me a lot about her family's Jamaican cultural practice around death and grief, which was really interesting. So here's what happened when I spoke to Speech to Bell. It's lovely to see you. We actually met on the stairs in Mike's studio probably about 12 years ago. In Old Street? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And um, I don't know if you know this, but one of my claims to fame is that I sang some BVs on your record. Um, Which track? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that, and I was thinking I should double check. It's not. It wasn't. It's not the spinning one. Not the big hit one. No. I think I. I think I know because the other one we did was like live and learn. Yes, live and learn. That was the one. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Um, okay. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't actually know that. Yeah. So I'm dining out on the my. That's the closest I've got to Mercury so far. So thank you. For the purposes of this. Will you just tell, tell, tell us about your relationship with Mike and what the connection is with Tongue? Because um, people might not know. Yeah, I know Mike Lindsay. Um, my earliest memory is going into his studio in Old Street, that kind of down in the basement studio. And that door, the actual door itself on Old Street was one that you just, if you didn't know where that door was, you would never find in that place. No. <laughs> you know? Um, very quickly, pretty much immediately, we realised that we worked in a very similar way, creating music, and that was just to basically be as childlike as as, as possible. Um, Mike has a lot of toys in his studio, you know, he has a lot of like, he has a lot of very up-to-date software and equipment, but he also has like old-school, like children's keyboards, little mini keyboards, and from the very first session we were just we would just run around the studio space and just be hitting things. Um, He's a really amazing guitar player. Um, So he would always have like a really, he always had hit upon a really beautiful guitar melody that I would kind of, you know, from the other side of the room sometimes, I'd I'd scream at him, wait, what's that? What did you just do there? You know what I mean? Do that again. And and, and he's interesting for me to work with because I think it's about where we meet in the middle. Um, Mike Lindsay has a, a sort of a, a happy lilt to his spirit and to the music that he makes. Yeah. Um, and I have a sort of sort of weighty ancestral lilt <laughs> mm. 
to the way that I move and when and you, you get that together and then you get a track like spinning because it's like you you're listening to it and it's just this sort of song you feel like you could sing along to like a nursery rhyme but then what I'm saying lyrically is it's kind of deep yeah it's interesting because you know Sam who is the other main songwriter in tongue yeah you know I suppose he brings that weight that you talk about that you bring to working with Mike I think Mike is a let's not do the whole interview about how great Mike is by the way yeah but but you know it's I think he does bring that that playfulness and then somebody else brings that kind of the weight and maybe the more emotional stuff yeah um so thank you so much for spending this time with me and for talking about something that is kind of personal and important um so what what happened was Mike mentioned that you'd been in touch and all the while we've been working on this project which is um a bigger project than a normal album for us so we it's it's a concept album um and what we've done is we've we're exploring the idea not the idea we're exploring death so we set off on this period of research and talking to people and Sam reached out to loads of kind of intellectual um heavyweights and people he'd always admired um and had started we started recording these conversations about death and then we got to a point where we realized that we're not actually doing the thing that we wanted to do which was really learn about how to talk about grief you know and have honest conversations about that right and Mike mentioned to me that your brother had passed away and so then we thought we would get in touch and ask you um just about your experience of that and I hope that still feels okay to talk about it does it does I'm 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 familiar with grief I mean I I mean I'm familiar with with death I should say that and I think that is firstly on a sort of DNA level right Mm. a sort of a sort of collective consciousness level um and my family are Jamaican, which means they are the um, descendant and survivors of the slave trade. So yeah. just in that experience alone, culturally, um, inside of my DNA is the understanding, is a sort of intuitive understanding of, of what it means to, um, to be taken away. Yeah. Right. Whether that means yeah. from a physical space or also in terms of transitioning on a spiritual yeah. level, um, I think that's something that's just definitely in my DNA and in a, in, a, in the collective consciousness of those people um, with that heritage as well. Um, and you know, my my brother passed away about uh, about a th- just over three weeks ago now. Um, and what we did, which is something that is done in Jamaican culture, is we, we have uh, something called nine night. So what that means is that there's different there's different theories. This is the one that I have come to understand. I, I could be wrong. My understanding is, is that on the first day in which somebody passes, one of the reasons is because people, we have family that are all over the place, different parts of London, different parts of the UK, different parts of the world. Yeah. And so for nine nights, it's an opportunity for people who hear about the passing to be able to gather at a particular house. Mm. Um, and it's usually one particular house, either the person who's passed or maybe the particular, or somebody who's taken on that responsibility if it's not that house. And you get together and the, and, and the idea is very immediately, as, as, uh, it is who's cooking the food. <laughs> first thing, right? That's yep. the first thing out of the gate. Who's doing the curry goat? Who's doing the mac and cheese? Who's doing the mm. rice? Because immediately, that's that's it's it's communion is such a part of the c- celebration and and also the relief in in the process. You know, every day for nine nights, people can come round and have a conversation, and it's really a time when people generally come around and sort of are in that still state of shock and disbelief. Um, and kind of sit around and 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 want information. Hmm. And is this sorry? Is this before the funeral even? Or this is, is from the first day of the passing. 
Okay, wow. It's a time of very still shock and disbelief and, you know, people come round, they find out, they come round and they want information. That's really important mm. for us is in, in terms of us to work out what's happened here. Okay, when? What time? Okay, because people, you, you see that people want to know where were they at the time when they passed and very yeah. small details, things that our brain are trying to get us to understand and need to understand. Um, mm. And, you know, so it's a time to share information. There's food, there's music playing, reggae music, generally speaking. Um, it's reggae music is a very beautiful music. It, it's it's at, it's pretty much at the same BPM as our resting heart rate, which is yeah. why everybody feels so <sighs> when they're yeah. listening to it. Um, and it's it's communion. And then on the ninth night is yeah. when there is the big get together. Um, and I mean, essentially, it's a house party. <laughs> and that's something that house parties is something that used to happen in, in black British culture in, the, in, in, you know, through the 70s, through the 80s. And it wasn't until the 90s when it started to get that was because police would start to come and shut it down and stuff like that. Yeah, there's always a moment where and we had that with Delray where we say, OK, time to turn off the music um, mm. on this particular occasion. I, I got on the mic. Um, I was the sort of nominated person to start the, I don't know if there's an official word for it, but start the nine night in terms of how we together uh, say to his spirit, we are welcome and happy for you to transition, which is the mm. concept of a nine night. The idea that for nine nights, for nine days, the, the spirit could linger, could visit people, um, the Delway visited me on the second night of his passing. He visited me in a dream. Um, so, you know, to visit people and then on the nine night, you come together and say, we accept and we let you go. And so that allows the spirit to transition. And what we did is um, people get on the mic and say goodbye. Um, somebody may want to have us sing. And it's a very, very, that's when it's probably the most emotional. For us with Delway, we knew we, he was going. So second okay. from that, the next emotional point was that moment there when we all get together and we all start, you know, people start saying on the mic, Delroy, I miss you. That's the, that's the yeah. next time we start actually speaking to him and speaking to his spirit. Um, it's really a beautiful opportunity to come together and have a healthy relationship with the idea that love is an energy and spirit is an energy and it's not going to go anywhere the physical body has left um mm. and they are transitioning into another place i mean i'm a believer in re reincarnation um but you know oh, yeah. wow. i am yeah and so you know they're transitioning onto some you know either to come back or to have some other role in some other place i'm not sure but it's a really healthy way of saying we won't forget you and yeah. the, 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 the love and the energy will remain, but we have to allow you to move on. Um, mm. And it's, 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 it's really important. And, and then I, I, I think we played the song leading us back because I think it was like Puff Daddy Missing You. And then we go back into the, go back into the dominoes, back into the music. It's interesting because you can, as a Jamaican and someone from Jamaican heritage, you can see, you can see how much we under, we hold grief in that way. Um, yeah. Um, and how we've had to hold so much grief yeah. on, a gen, on a generational level, even just in our experience of just being here in, in Britain and, and living mm. as, as a black person, how much grief that puts upon you. And you can, that you know, you can see it. Like you can see the points in which a person, you can see the, the fire in them because they're 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 something's raging inside of them, the pain, and and then so they stand up and say, "Let's play this song," and you know, and you can see that it's pain, and and yeah. that's what we we do to 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 get through it. And nobody looks at them and. and they're just going to go through it, let them go through it. However, yeah. if that means they fall into the floor and cry, you let them fall into the floor and cry. There isn't, culturally speaking, there isn't this kind of like, 
let's all do let's do this as quietly let's not make too much noise let's not let's not have too many conversations and mm. you know think it's not that it's 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 too to be as expressive as one needs to that's really amazing to learn that because i think that one thing that certainly that we've talked about between us as a band is how british culture doesn't really allow much room for conversations about grief and there's also an idea that um you know that it that it ends like that there's a there's a feeling that okay well that's done now you know you need to move on yeah and and i think that the conversations that i've been having have taught me that you know grief is just always there you know if you if you lose somebody um but it changes you know and your relationship to it changes and that part of that changing can feel like a loss as well like part of not feeling in the deep pain of it can feel like a loss as well yeah and there's also a bit of guilt as well um you know as you're going through those changes there are times when like I've had moments where I forget and then I get guilty that I forgot for a sec yeah do you know what I mean um and so there's definitely transitions um but I think that the thing is right um the people in my life that have 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 moved on um my uncle my gran one of my close friends and and now my brother all in the space of about 3 years 4 years max wow. maybe um mm. there has been something very similar about all of about all of them and that is that they have even made a decision consciously that they're they're finished with this right. life they're done yeah or yeah. they've made a decision unconsciously mm. and by that i mean my friend um committed suicide oh i'm sorry it's a very conscious decision a very in the moment instant decision you know she 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 had experiences with mental health for many years but that was a very in the moment decision um my gran um who i got the name debel from was a fashion designer all her entire life two weeks before she passed away i remember i went to see her and she was showing me her hands and she was saying i can't move my fingers they were getting stiff right. yeah and two weeks later she was out mm. right and the only thing she's the things i mean she was a mother of, of 10 so she's done a lot of things in her life but what wow. she came into the world to do was to be an artist and it's mm. just it, it, i found it very interesting at the point in which she couldn't do that she didn't last much longer with my brother my brother was um was was suffered from alcoholism right so it's an unconscious you know yeah. it isn't an in the moment decision but it is an unconscious decision it's it's a slow burn mm. and and even with my uncle he he suffered with some mental health that became physical health and you know and and that was something that i just found very aligned between all of those people that is it somehow a choice and i have not experienced anybody passing that i know that's been like oh, okay i'm just going to go shop and go and get a pack of cigarettes and they just don't come back i have yeah. never had that kind of so mm. i don't know what that feels like but with in all of those people what i noticed was like damn it seems like they all made a choice mm. yeah you know what i mean and i just yeah. and, and and it it's just gave me it just made it really interesting to me it made me actually a lot more accepting mm. of of their passing because to love unconditionally unconditionally is to say if you decide you want to move on then you should be able to do that yeah as much as it may hurt me and hurt others that is a, a, a um an action of of unconditional love and so there's an an element of acceptance that has to come with that and also it makes me think about the way in which i live and it makes me more conscious of am i doing am i happy <laughs> yeah just on the day to day it gives me more i have to be more conscious of the fact that am i happy because i can go two years being unhappy and not know it we all do mm. it lots of times yeah. right like yeah. every single day we're unhappy and we haven't even got a clue 
it had to make me think about my mental health a lot more and mm. how that would affect my physical health and whether I am deciding to do sometimes a slow burn. And there's a bit of cognitive dissonance in there because I smoke cigarettes and I drink alcohol. So I am suppressing things, yeah, yeah, as, <laughs> as, as my therapist has taught me. I am suppressing and, and pushing down things and, you know, and it makes, and I have to think about that, you know. As you say, like, are we really happy? Are we really doing what we want to be doing? And then, you know, you experience a bereavement and it shines a light on those questions, I suppose. It does. Um, and, it, and it also, um, each and every time somebody's passing, every time I've, I've had a loss, one of the things that have come up is, for me personally, anger. Mm. And anger shows up within the, 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 the family dynamic at some point. It could be the day they yeah. die, or it could be one of those next three, four, five, six nights. But believe, believe you, at some point between that that person's death and the funeral, mm. there's going to be a screaming match. Right. There's going to be a screaming match between two people who you didn't even know would be screaming at each other. Where did that come from? Or between wow. people who you know it's going to happen because for so many years yeah. there have been unsaid things and. And now this death has rocked us. Mm. And now we can't hold our, our, our tongues. And some people, you can see the anger comes up and control comes up, right? No, 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 yeah. they've got to be buried here. No, 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 they've got to be wearing this. And there's arguments about what tie they're wearing and these small sort of the minutiae of, of death becomes everything that's important and everybody wants a bit of control and needs and some people in particular need to have some control over that um and it's it's just interesting like how anger um and control comes from the fact that we are angry because of what we cannot control yeah i wanted to ask you a bit about your family because before we spoke you asked me to listen to that track daddy's little girl which i have listened to a lot and um so i have a picture in my mind about certainly your relationship with your dad and the fact that you come from a big family but that your dad had children with different partners um I'd love to hear about Delroy and I'd love to hear about his place in in your family and your relationship with him yeah um so my dad was a DJ and in black British history that means he was a kind of key figure, culturally speaking, right? Because the way that people would get together as a community would generally be at somebody's house, you know? We, 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 we take a christening, a birthday, a funeral, w whatever, and it's going to be a party, it's gonna be a communion in the same way that we do with a nine night. And for every one of those occasions, there's a DJ. So my mum would tell me about, you know, when she was younger and how it was growing up in like the 70s where come come Friday night, you know, so you hear about so-and-so's having a house party. So my mum met my dad as a DJ. Um, one of the things that my dad was, was, <laughs> was able to do as a DJ was have families at different areas in London. Okay. Right? Because if you didn't have a car, which most people didn't have, London transport wasn't what it was. Also mm. added fact that you're black British and you can't just walk around anywhere. If you're from South East London, you kind of stay in South East. If you're from South West, you stay in South West and he would travel around London. So, well, he would travel around and he was having a lot of fun. And one thing he's always been, was, was, he's always been passionate about is women. And so because of that, there is now eight of us and with five different mothers. And what that had, had meant was that our relationship as siblings is has been fragmented, not because of that, but because of the lack of stability that my father put in place. You know, like you can have different, you can have different mothers or different fathers, but it is still your responsibility to make sure there is a connection between those. And that's not something he did very well. I remember when I was young and like going, my dad coming to pick me up and 
him kind of picking me up and then dropping me off. And he would drop me off and it would be my older sibs. So it would be like Jasmine, Delroy, um, Wayne, the older ones. But I didn't always even, at the beginning, know they were my siblings. You know, he wasn't... Really? Yeah, there wasn't even like that kind of communication like that. You know, my, my dad is a man of very little words. And his idea was to pick me up to um, uh, make my mum more palatable and then drop me off somewhere so he could go back and do his thing. Right. So that meant for me that my introduction to my older siblings was generally of not really even realising that they were my siblings. I was just at my house and there was lots of children and, you know, that's how it was. And they remember, the older ones remember me because I was smaller than them. So they would, you know they remember me as a baby but I it, it it's it's I don't remember them as a younger child it wasn't until I got older and then I think when I was about I think on when I was about 16 my dad invited me to 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 to, to Pizza Hut in Streatham that's not even there anymore and I grew up in Streatham so I remember that do you remember the Pete right um that yeah and and I remember and, and I, I remember because I thought it was for my birthday Mm. And when I got there, it was all of was a load of my younger siblings who I'd never met a day in my life. And he was oh. like, that's your brother, da, 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 that's your sister. Da, da, da. And I remember being, it was so heartbreaking for me because having, having abandonment from, your, from my dad and then thinking that this was a moment in which I had been seen and then going in and realising that there's 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 this isn't even about me and I think from that moment it created a kind of a dynamic and an idea to me that it it created a distance between me and my siblings not their Mm. fault not my fault just life just how I downloaded the 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 experience for me created a made me feel the need to be distant and I mentioned that in that song, Daddy's Little Girl, the fact that when I, to look at them is to see him and to see him is to see pain. Yeah. And so that was for a long time, I, I didn't, I just kind of stopped reaching out to him and, and, and he was, he, he, he did the same. Um, and it wasn't until my, my gran, his mother died um, when I was in maybe like sort of early 20s that I remember getting the call, going to my grand's and she was, she was, in the slow process of passing away, she died of cancer. So it was that time of it. She's got maybe till tomorrow. It was that kind of thing. Mm. You should come. Yeah. And um, I remember, no, no, not my grandma, granddad. Excuse me, it was before that. It was my granddad, my my dad's father. And I remember seeing like my older brother Wayne, and instantly being like, oh, I remember you. Not only do I remember you, but I think I love you. Oh. And I don't know why I I don't know I don't know how that's quite possible, but I'm mm. it's I'm aware it's there. And the same thing. How with, old are you at this point? I was must have been about like twenty one, something like that. Okay. And I remember having a conversation with my my brother Wayne. He's the eldest of us, and he said it's been a long time since. And I said I know it's been like a decade, like two decades. Um, and so that was my reintroduction to my siblings. Um, and and. So Delroy is, and Jasmine um, have the same mum. So mm-hmm. they, they are the least fragmented, those two, as they grew up in the same house and things like that. So um, Delroy was, as an older brother, he reminded me a lot of myself. Um, of, of, of a lot of my of most of them, he reminded me a lot of myself in the fact that he was always sort of looking for just a little bit of trouble, even if it was just for a giggle, even if it's just for a giggle, you know, uh, push the boundaries just to see what happens a little bit because he wants something to happen. He needs something to happen. That's the kind of energy he had, something, you know, which I understand how one would become, would, would, would turn to alcoholism without an outlet, having that kind of spirit. 
yeah, my, my relationship with Delway is, was later on in my life when I was like from about 20. And I would see him sporadically every couple of years. I'd see Delroy and, um, and it was always, what up, sis? What up, bro? You know, what's going on? And by the, that time, I'd start to do music. And so that would be the conversation about music. Um, one of the things that came up for me when he passed was guilt. Um, guilt came up for me because I just thought about how many of the years I missed. And I think one of the things I learned in therapy is that sometimes we take on other people's shame, right? We take on yeah. other people's shame and we hold it ourselves. And I think that's one of the things I did with my father. In his lack of responsibility and care, I took that upon myself and made that mm. my shame, my guilt, and meant that I mm. stepped away from my siblings because it was too tough. And yeah. when Delroy passed, it, that came up for me. That came mm. up for me in terms of, man, if I never... If I never just said, I'm not calling my dad anymore because I was in pain, mm. then maybe I would have seen him more. Maybe yeah. I would have got to see him more. And that came up for me and I had to really, if it wasn't for having been in therapy for four years, I would have really, really struggled with that because it came up and I had to let it come up and, and I had to say, okay, I, if that makes sense to feel that way, but that it's not your fault. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not your fault. It, it's... It was the experience that had been presented to me and that was my young mind's decision on how best to save myself. And, mm. you know, um, and as we got older and we communicated, I've realised that most of us actually feel the same way, especially mm. the older ones. When we, have, when, we have, when we talk now, we have real, real conversations about our experiences as as essentially stepbrothers and sisters although in jamaican culture we don't we don't use that term we just say brother and sister mm. um and we have real conversations now it's we all feel like that yeah and that wasn't something that we knew when we were growing up and it's so interesting i even had a conversation with one of uh, my my young my the sister youngest second down to me the other day and we were talking about the fact that Delroy felt like he was abandoned and I'm, I'm, you know, just like, you know, man, we all felt like that. And we were all having yeah. this experience and separately without realizing that we were going through the same thing. And, I, mm. and, and in his passing, that has become most apparent because for the first time in, in all of our entire lives, we have all been in the same room at the same time. That's never happened before. Oh. And it's really crazy because I'm a person that believes in symbols and uh, that, that the spirit moves in symbols and in signs. And so we were together for the first time with dad and we said, oh, we have to take a picture of this. This is too memorable. And <laughs> so we're moving the stuff out of the way. Move that out of the way, move that out of the way. Let's get a nice picture. And we took pictures. Um, set the camera up, took loads of pictures and we're looking back at the pictures and we said, oh my God, we, we took out, we removed everything from the pictures except one empty chair. Wow. <laughs> That's, that was, for some reason, nobody, nobody realised while we were moving all the other chairs out the way, all the shoes and the trainers and whatnot out the way, we left this one chair right next to, right next to us, this empty chair. Um, and I, it was, it was, it was just such a powerful moment for us. Cause we were like, my God, our connection as siblings is out of this world. This yeah. is evidence of this. It surpasses the physical because Delroy has moved from the physical into the spiritual. And yet he is still manifesting in this room <laughs> in the form of an empty chair. It's so amazing. And it's a, a shared experience that you all had as well. It's amazing. Yeah, because we saw, we was at the same time, like, oh my God, the chair, the chair, the chair, you know? Um, but yeah, I, the, the, the tough, the, the, the tough thing for me, I think with, with Delroy's passing was, um, for me, what, 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 the guilt that came up, that was a tough thing for me. Also, trying to work through 
um, the unresolved issues that we still have as siblings and knowing that this is the start of the resolution. It's, it's, we're mm. not even in the middle, you know what I mean? This is the start and it's going to take some work. There's been a couple of arguments since his passing, you know, because we have unresolved issues. It's, we don't argue badly and we don't argue for long. It's an, it's a representation of the unresolved issues that are still there. And Delroy's passing is now for me is the, the signifier you know, he is the, the angel for our healing as siblings, mm. you know. Um, what, you know, something else I wanted to mention as well, because, you know, for, for people that are listening, there's... I, I had my one of my closest friends pass away the, the, literally a year before she, she committed suicide. My gran, who I had a, absolutely sort of rock solid bond with we were the same we were the same person that's where I got my na- name from speech the world passed away and in both of those passings I never got any kind of signifier that they were about to die that they had died and that even after they mm-hmm. passed away I never got any visits or anything like that mm-hmm. and I always heard about this idea of visits and stuff and people visiting you and I was always it's I didn't think I mean I wasn't mad about it but I was just I, mean, I don't know if I don't know how real that is. And it's really interesting that although I didn't have as a close relationship with Dayoi, he's the one that visited me. Yeah. And even though he had a closer relationship with some of his siblings, like my sister Jasmine, where they have the same mum, I'm the one he visited. And Mm. I've really had to sort of sit with that. And, and, the, the conclusion that I came to was that just before he passed, I started making the fourth album. And just before I started making the fourth album, a couple of weeks before he passed, I, after 30 years of holding the shame of being sexually abused when I was young, I finally put an allegation in, right? So that's happened in, in that. And then couple two weeks later I said you know what it's time to make another album I've got new stories to tell and then Delroy passes mm-hmm. and I was like man why would Delroy why would he come why would he come see me why would he come see me in terms of all the people that he could go see and mm-hmm. the conclusion that I came to was that because I'm about to make an album that's the only thing I could hit on I'm about to make an album and it's my responsibility my responsibility as an artist to continue to speak the truth and mm. share healing through the truth right whatever my yeah. truth may be mm. is a, is healing for myself and healing for others and that's the, my only that's the only thing I could think like Maybe he visited me because I'm in. I'm just starting to make an album, and he is trying to remind me that you better, you better stick to the script. Mm. Stick to the script, and and you know I've made three albums. I made some with a label. I've made some independent. There've been times and I've done songs that I didn't even really feel committed to. There were times I've yeah. done interviews and tours, and I had never been committed. I've done videos, and I didn't really like it, but I didn't say anything, and. There's been so many times I have not stood in my truth as an artist. And mm. and I've had to, oh man, I've had to sit with that. And one of the things I was thinking about on this fourth album, even down to the title of the album, Sunday Dinner on a Monday, was the fact that this will be my, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm doing what I did on the first album. I don't care who hears it. I don't care who hears yeah. this truth. Right, mm. I'm gonna have to put some disclaimers out there before it drops. Like, mom, sis, you know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because this is what I feel that is coming through me right now, and I think, and I really think that's why he visited me. And I will talk, I will share what that experience was as well, because um, mm. it's, it's it's a beautiful experience to be visited. And basically, what happens, it, it, what happened was, it was as I was waking up, so it was mm. in that stage of sleep. Yeah, and um, 
there, were, there was a time that while Dewa was here, he was in a wheelchair because he was in hospital and he was, he was struggling with his organs. And I didn't see him at that point. Mm. And which is another reason that, you know, another reason the guilt came up, you know, things like that. And, but I remember my sister talking about it and saying how, and it was such a funny story she was telling me about when she went to go see him in a hospital and him just being so, him so acting like he's not in the hospital because he's sick, right? He wants to do his thing. And he's trying to chat up the nurses and all of this stuff she's telling me. And it's just, I'm cracking up, right? And so I had that visual, that memory sort of was implanted into my mind, even though I wasn't there. And so I'm, I'm in this state of sleep and I'm waking as I'm, as I'm sort of waking up and it's an empty road. It's like, you know, that kind of 5am, uh, just before the, just before sunrise. And there's like mm. nobody, the road's empty and he is in the middle of the road in a wheelchair and there's a light shining down on him like a spotlight and he's in the chair and he's just telling me stories and I can't really remember the stories but he's telling stories and and he's building up a spliff and as he's telling stories he's cracking up laughing to himself you know like and then this happened and (laughs) he throws his head back and start laughing um and he'd go from that to then having a uh, having a fit which is something that you experience with alcoholism. You have you have fits, physical fits. Mm. So he would go from mm. that to having a fit and go back. And each time he would have a fit, I would try to reach my hand out. Um, but I could see my hand, but I couldn't get any, I couldn't get to him, I couldn't touch him. And so it was just that. And it was, it was like a sort of, it's like he was on a stage and on, on, on a, it was like a one man show. And mm. had, you know, the way he had the spotlight and he was telling stories. And then he suddenly just got up out of the chair as though he didn't need it. And he walked, he just walked off out of sight. And one of the things that stood out was when he walked away, he wasn't even, he was dressed as though it was like 1993. Hmm. And he was, he looked about that age, like he was 1993. And he had a confidence that I have not seen him have in many years. He didn't have the confidence of the person who he was when he was sick. And he walked away confidently, and he walked away as though he was at ease. And I was talking to my um, my sister Jasmine about that, and and because I had to share that that, that the experience um, with all of my siblings, you know, that he visited me, and and she, when I said that, like nineteen ninety three, she was like, oh, he was happy then. That's when he was yeah. happy. That's before things kicked in and turn him mm. on, on the path that he ended up on. And I just was like, wow, wow. You know, like, that gave me an insight into death that I have never and never and never experienced before. I've never been visited. I've never had a sort of near-death experience or anything like that. I'm a mm. spiritual person. I have had spiritual experiences my entire life, um, but I haven't had something like that. And just to, it, 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 not only did it put me at ease, but it put me at ease to be able to share that with my dad and my siblings, that mm. what I saw was him walking away at ease and confident and as though he was ready to go. And it kind of rem- connected to me when I think about my friend who, who took her life the year before, the idea that she was ready to go. And also my gran, that as soon as her hands wouldn't allow her to create in a way I think she was just then ready to go yeah right and it just it, it's what the thing that I'll take with me the idea that to love somebody is to allow them to go in whichever capacity mm. a relationship a, a, a friendship a death is allow them to go um and recognize also the signs as well when somebody Mm. may be doing the slow burn without realizing they're doing a slow burn yeah and i'm not going to keep you much longer um thank you so much for sharing all of that stuff with me i really feel privileged that you have shared that with me um i just wanted to ask what you're 
I think I know the answer to this, but when you so when you woke up from that experience or when it ended, did you feel emotional? Did you feel lighter? What was the feeling you had? I was, uh, I it was, it was tough. Mm. I was, it, it, it wrecked me, because as soon as I woke up, I was wanted to scream in pain, mm. because. What stayed with me as I opened my eyes was when I was reaching out to him and I couldn't mm. touch him, I couldn't get to him. As I opened my eyes, I was, I was, the first thing I had was the weight of that pain of trying to reach out and not touch. That was the very thirsty first thing I had. And it's still, that's still there now because I'm, as I'm talking about it, I can feel the emotion in my chest I can feel it coming up um, and that was as painful to me as when when I was with my sister and we got the call because he was in hospital for about two weeks and we got the call saying that come now and it, remember this is COVID so no one was allowed in the hospital Mm. We they let us do FaceTime every day with him in a, while he was in the hospital, but no one was allowed. And when they made the call to say you can come in, and mm. that moment of he's going, mm. there's no question here. They're not letting us in there, and they didn't let us all of us in. They only let his mum and my sister in. And at that moment, and I remember we my, my sister and I turned to each other, and when we heard that conversation and, and, and his mum saying, okay, so we should come now, right? Yep, we should come now. And me and my sister turning to each other and I saw her, I saw the death in her in mm. that moment. I saw his death in her and I knew she could, and I had to hold her because I knew she was about to hit the deck. You know what I mean? Yeah. Those yeah. feet weren't gonna hold her up. And that mm. was the most painful moment so far, knowing. Mm. And the closest to that was that, that him visiting me. Um, and, and the experience of trying to reach out and knowing that I couldn't was, was, has been the most painful parts for me so far in the journey. And, and probably will continue to be, you know? I'm not gonna forget that visit. I'm not gonna forget that moment. I'm not gonna forget any of those things. And, um, but just like with my friend and, and with my gran, over time, you start to, well, I personally start to just, start to just remember more of the fun, the funny things and the small things that made me laugh or the, man, it was so crazy. I remember that time yeah. you did this and it starts to become that after yeah. a while from, it has been for me as opposed to, I remember that moment when I got the call, you know, that has yeah. that memory, the other stuff starts to take over after yeah. some time. Um, There's more space for it, I suppose, like once once the time's passed and there, there is created some space in you for to remember the things and not feel bad that you're laughing about something or you're feeling joy about something, you know, I suppose. Exactly, exactly. When the when when we've made room, exactly. You know, mm. grief and pain and, and things like that and shame and guilt are, are very low vibrations and they take up a lot of space within us. Yeah. You know, they're very yeah. heavy. They make us move really slowly. Um, mm. And to get rid of those is, is how we allow the sort of more higher vibrational things to be able to take up space. And and that that will happen. That will happen when... when, when, when when we lose someone, I, I've got friends that have lost people that are very close to them, and you know, ten year, ten years ago, twenty years ago, and and they're not any less sad about it, but they have made space, you mm. know, they they've 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 lightened the load. Yeah, I'm so honestly, I'm so grateful. I've enjoyed talking to you so much, and I really appreciate you opening up in this way with me. And I hope I'm not leaving you with painful feelings that you might not have been expecting for Friday afternoon I, I wasn't expecting it I wasn't expecting it and I think I started off as 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 as, as I do I usually start off on in a sort of in, in the head 
and 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 as we've spoken it's moving to the heart space and and that's not a bad thing you know what i mean that's not a bad thing to move into your heart space because it's, it's it's actually good to be reminded of your feelings and know that they're still there because we're human i'm human you know what i mean i have to be reminded of the humanness inside of me and the care and the love and 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 things like that and also i'm about to go um when i leave here i'm about to go to my mum's house anyway so it just so happens i'm i'm i'm, I'm going to see I'm going to the womb, but thank you for the care, though. Yeah, and I'm really sorry for your loss. I really am. Thank you. Thank you. I've enjoyed speaking about it. I'm not going to lie. I think this is important, so thank you. Yeah. It's really, really lovely to see you. Thank you for this conversation. I've learned a lot talking to you. And um, I hope we see each other in the real world at some point, maybe when you're working with Mike at some point. I think so. I think we're going we're gonna to get together maybe, in, you know, when it happens, we're going to get together. So hopefully we can. Yeah, okay. Take care. Have a nice time with your mum. I will do. You too. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to our Dead Club podcasts. Yeah, and that was the final episode. Uh, we'd like to thank everyone who's taken part in these conversations with us. It's really it's been an incredible experience for us. Um, we'd like to thank Max Porter, Dame Sue Black, Darren Brown, Kevin Young, Catherine Mannix, AC Grayling, Alain de Botton and Speech de Bell. And we'd also like to thank Andy Finlay and Ashley Bates who gave us a bit of assistance on some of the recordings. Thanks to Stable Podcasts for the support in putting this out and to our record label Full Time Hobby. We'd like to say a special thanks to our friends and family who spoke to us about their experiences of death or dying but aren't necessarily included in the the podcast recordings. This podcast series was made possible in part thanks to public funding from the National Lottery through Arts Council England. 